Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. Marriage isn't easy. Most of us didn't grow up with a template for a successful marriage. We look at couples who seem to have it all and wonder, how did they get there? Or, we want to be married. Or, we have a marriage behind us that didn't succeed and are looking for hope for the future. This series is for everyone. Those who are married, want to be married, or were married as we take a look at God's intention for marriage. everybody welcome to grace life are you having fun yet you know worshiping god should be fun so uh hey i've got the biggest most important super special announcement about the building ever to be given you guys ready for this good then come back next week because i'm gonna save it all right in all seriousness so here's what's going on starting next week next week is the one year mark in our campaign to get us out of this warehouse and into the building that god has for us i really do have the biggest coolest most exciting announcement ever you don't want to miss it next week or you're going to have to find out about it on facebook or from one of your friends don't miss it you're going to want to be here everybody with me on that Okay, and so you're already thinking like, oh, this is going to be exciting. I want you to go ahead in your mind right now and imagine what possibly could the biggest, coolest announcement be about the building, and that's not it. But it's better than that, and the only way you're going to know what it is is to come back next week. Everybody going to, there you go, there you go, good. So speaking of a new building, look around this room. I've been telling it to you guys for three weeks in a row, second service. Here's what you can do. Come to the third service. Or move up and fill in the empty seats. Move up and fill in the empty seats. Some wonderful family could have been right here beside me. I would have prayed a blessing over you better than the ones I prayed over the back rows. It would have been awesome. There you go. I'm going to talk to Jesus for you. Just there you go. Okay, in all seriousness, guys, we are growing. We've been growing. That's why we're building a building. That's why we've got three services. And this, of course, is just what's considered prime time. So if you're going to come to prime time, please fill in the empty seats. The more comfortable you are, please move forward, fill in, uh, sit beside somebody you know, because that's the only way we're going to make room until next week's announcement. There you go. All right. So, hey, we are finishing a series today. We've been doing now for three weeks today as part four of a series on marriage. Very simple goal. We want everyone else to look at our marriages and be jealous. And, and the reason will be simple. Then we can say, well, you know, marriage is God's idea. God's got a way of doing it. And when you do it that way, it works. Let me tell you about God. Let me tell you about God's idea for marriage. That's what we're after. We're wanting that opportunity. And so first, to get that opportunity, we've got to model it. We've got to be that. And so we, we began the series with my friend, Dr. Alan Holmes. He came and talked about invite God to do a miracle in your marriage. And some of you know exactly what that's like. You have reached the end, and if God does not show up and do a miracle, nothing's ever going to change. And then in part two, we talked about how God wants to use marriage to make you holy so that it can make you happy. God does want you to be happy in marriage, but holy comes before happy. And then last week, I began something I told you was going to kind of be a two-sided coin. One side of it last week, the other side of it this week. So last week, we started the idea of how to kill the rivalry in our marriage, because that's what we think is going on. We've got this person that's not on our team. They're on another team, and they're out to get us. Kill the rivalry. Last week, we said you kill the rivalry by putting your spouse first. And I told you to come back this week for kill the rivalry to put you first. Putting you first. It's interesting that like attendance doubled this week. People want to hear more about putting themselves first. I'm just, are y'all going to laugh today? Because that was a joke. I mean, come on. 
There is a time the Bible says to put you first. Uh, you may or may not enjoy when the Bible says to actually do this. So when I was uh, early married, you've heard some of our stories. We had just the world's greatest marriages. No, no. Anyway, the truth is it was, it was rather miserable. And so I would go to, to talk to a, a mentor or a pastor uh, about how to help our marriage and what was going on. And I was absolutely, completely convinced I knew exactly what the problem was in our marriage. Her. Right. I knew it. I was absolutely, utterly, completely convinced if somebody would work on her, fix her, change her, our marriage would be great. She was the problem. So I'd go and sit down with my pastor friend and tell him that, and he'd go, oh, okay. So, hey, let's talk about you. Anybody ever been in that situation, and you just want to slap that person? I'm not here to talk about me. Didn't you hear what I just said? She's the problem. Let's talk about her. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he was really gracious because... He wouldn't tell me how stupid I was. He just, well, you know, I understand. I agree with you. I get all that. But, you know, she's not here. So just for the fun of it, let's talk about you. You're the only one here. I don't want to talk about me. So here you go. I'm going to ask you a question. You got to answer. Either way you answer, you're getting in trouble. Okay, because if you answer and raise your hand with me, you are going to be in trouble with God for lying in church. But if you don't raise your hand, you're going to be in trouble with your spouse. So you just got to go and decide up front which one you think is more forgiving. Okay? So here we go. Who has a perfect spouse? That was, that was interesting. There we go. Two people in trouble with God for lying because nobody's spouse is perfect. So here's the deal. What do we do when we're married to someone who's not perfect? You see, if you're married to someone who's not perfect, you obviously are going to recognize their sins. You're going to see their flaws. You're going to see the things that they're going through. What do we do with this? I mean, we want them to change, right? We want them to become like the person we want them to become like. So we want them to stop sinning if it's sinning. We want them to stop hurting us if they're hurting us. We want them to just stop being annoying if they're just being annoying. We just want them to change. We want them to get good counseling. We want them to do all of this stuff. And we make it all about them. But here's the question. What happens when you can't change them? What happens when you can't drag them to a counseling appointment? What happens when you can't nag them into being something different? Is there anybody out there like, yeah, you can't, nagging does not change a marriage, right? Yeah, there you go. Got three hands. Good. Three honest people with me today. What do you do? Well, I think what we should talk about is what God wants from us at this point. And I will tell you the truth, I'm speaking not from somebody who knew this, not from somebody who did this, but from somebody who's had to learn this the really, really, really hard way. So if anybody feels condemned this morning, don't, because you are right there with me. What does God want from us? So I'm going to share with you a parable that Jesus told. Again, as I said, beginning this series, we're not really even going to use marriage passages because marriage is a lot of times what's going wrong in our marriage is that we're just not acting like two Christians to each other. So this is a Christian relationship concept. So if you're single, you're like, oh man, I walked in on a marriage series. What good is this going to do? It's going to do you every bit of good because this is actually written about how we should relate to the rest of the world. If you've got your Bibles, it's in Luke 6. If you don't have your Bibles, it's on the screen right behind my head. And so Jesus told them a parable, said this, can a blind man lead a blind man? I mean, how do you think that's going to go? And he even says, will they not both fall into a pit? And he then switches and says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? It kind of sounds like he's confused and he's got a sermon notes mixed up like, 
like Peter was carrying the scrolls and dropped them. So, so Jesus gets up and he starts reading, can a blind man lead a blind man? Next page. Uh, wait a minute, these two don't go together. It sounds like they're two completely different things. Why did Jesus start out talking about the speck in the eye with asking, can a blind man lead a blind man? And the answer is actually pretty obvious. The sermon is not confused. The two pages go together in the same message. And here's the way this works. You can't see if you have a, blo- a log in one eye. And, and so you become blind. And whatever it is you think you can see out of the other eye is incredibly skewed perspective. And so you're walking around completely blind in one eye and seeing the other side distorted and all messed up, and yet it's what you see. As a result, when you become blind, did you catch how he said this? You see a speck. You see the tiniest little thing with them, but you don't notice the biggest thing with you. What does it make you? It makes you blind, incredibly blind. And so here's what Jesus said about it. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite. Now, how many of you woke up this morning and said, honey, can we go to church so the pastor can call me a hypocrite? Okay, well, I didn't do it. Jesus did. Here's what you, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Did you catch that? First, first take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So here's the problem. When we start to see the flaws and the sins in another person, we are entering some very dangerous territory called judgment. And I really would love to just do like a whole message on that because it's complicated. And I don't have time for doing that this morning because we are going to notice when other people are not perfect. How do we notice that? How do we help them without judging them like i said that's a message worthy of itself a whole nother problem so for today let's just let's just assume that once we start looking at people and we start pointing out their problems we are very likely to get in trouble because we're going to start judging them for what they're doing that means we look at them and go i can't believe you would do that i can't believe look at you you've got a problem right there now here's what where we go wrong we take that a step further that's bad enough but we take it a step further. I can't believe you do that because I don't do that. I can't believe you've got that problem. I don't have problems. Hypocrite. We become a hypocrite when we see them and we don't even see ourselves. And that is what gets in the trouble in what Jesus was talking about. So it, 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 when you say, what does this have to do with marriage? First of all, it's probably obvious. But let me go ahead and, and just make sure it's, it, it is obvious. You see, when we're Christians, we want to not be a hypocrite. Somebody with me on this. You want to not be a hypocrite. You want to not judge people. And so when you go to work and there's somebody there and they just annoy you and they do the stupidest things or they do wrong things, they do illegal things and it's really hard. You're like, man, I'm, I'm constantly judging my boss. You know, I mean, like he comes in an hour late and yells at us for being five minutes late. You know, I'm, I'm having a hard time. I want to judge him. I need to get out of here. It's what we do is we say, let me get out of here. Let me quit this job. Let me get a new job. Let me find somebody that's not going to put me in the situation to judge them. Maybe it's the coworker right beside you, and they're really difficult. And so what do you do? You pack up your stuff, and you move down the hall to a new cubicle. You just get away from them. And if they're always causing that, they come, you want to go to lunch? No, I'm sorry, I brought my lunch. You just stay away from them. But here's the problem with marriage. 
you can't get away. At least you shouldn't. That's what God said. We talked about why you shouldn't last week. We talked about last week why God puts us in these situations with someone who's not perfect. God's working on us. So here's the problem, though, and we define this. Here's what marriage is. It's an intimate, 24-7, lifelong relationship with another fallen person. You know what that means? That means you will see their sin. You will. If you live with someone in a deeply intimate relationship for life, 24-7, you're going to see what's wrong with them. You're going to see when they're afraid and shouldn't be afraid. You're going to see when they sin and shouldn't sin. You're going to see when they're angry and they shouldn't be angry. You're going to see the issues in their life. Judgment is easy. Matter of fact, it's next to impossible not to judge your spouse. Next to impossible. And I think there's only one way to keep from doing it. And it's a perspective change. Remember, Jesus said, how can the blind lead the blind? What makes you blind is you have a skewed perspective. You don't even see the big problem with you, the small problem. It's all about perspective. And so I want to just give you an analogy that will bring you away from thinking about your marriage. Because as I'm talking about marriage, you only half hear me. Because you apply it to your spouse immediately and think about how half wrong I am. Because I don't know what it's like to be married to your spouse. How many? No, don't raise your hand to that one anyway. Right? So we're just going to walk away from marriage for a minute. Everybody go with me back to my senior year of high school calculus class. Taking, I, I took calculus my senior year of high school. And, and I discovered something that I never knew before my senior year. And, and that's that suddenly all of the people in calculus class are in competition. You know when you're going to school, you're like, I don't care, man. I just got to pass this class. I just got to like get out of here. Okay, but here's what happens your senior year. Now you're like trying to get scholarships and get into college. And you're trying to graduate at the top of your class. If you're one of the nerds, well, guess where all the nerds are? Calculus class. Okay, so there you go. That's the way this works. So suddenly, they took all of the people that were trying to graduate first. They put them in a class together. So it happens like this. You get a test back and you go, oh, man, I made an 87. Hey, what did you make? Oh, I made a 92. Oh, you suck, dude. Okay, I mean, you know, that's a, you kind of have that attitude. Like, why are you happy for the guy? I'm not happy for the guy because he's going to graduate ahead of me and get a bigger scholarship. No, I need to do better. Next thing you know, though, about three weeks into calculus, here's how this thing goes. 48? What'd you get? 52. Oh, man, this is miserable. What am I ever going to use this for? I don't know how to find the, the volume of a donut. Who's ever going to need to know the volume of a donut? True. Actually, that was one of our assignments. I don't know. I don't remember a thing I learned in calculus class. Whatever happened to 2 plus 2, you're actually going to need that. I mean, even two times two, you're going to need that. Calculus, who's ever going to need this stuff, right? So here's the thing. You've got to change your perspective at some point. It is no longer my goal to beat a rival student. Matter of fact, we're not even rivals. We've got to stop thinking we're in competition, and we've got to realize we're in prison. Like, this is a prison break, man. We got to figure out how to get out of here together. That's all that matters. And I don't care if you're the first one out the window. As long as you take me with you, the goal is not to beat each other. It's to get out of here together. Did y'all follow that analogy, obviously enough? Except when we turn our spouse into our rival, we just want to one-up them. Go to marriage counseling. Yeah, I know I got issues, but they got bigger issues. You know, I can't tell you the number of times that's been said in my office. Like, yeah, I know I got problems, but they. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. It's how we all live. So don't y'all go looking around. Who would say such a thing? We've all said it. Every single one of us, we think that because we're in the minority numerically, like we're on the winning side of this thing. 
And let me just go ahead and tell you the truth. I don't think I have ever had a couple come into my office and tell me their problems. And I looked at them and said, huh, this is amazing. You are 50% wrong. And you are 50% wrong. Y'all are equally wrong. It's never happened. It does not happen. I'm going to tell you, in any given situation, somebody is 75% wrong, and the other person is only 25% wrong. Someone's 90% wrong, the other person is only 10% wrong. And, and it's the one who is always less wrong or more right that thinks that gives them permission to focus on the other person. But it doesn't work, because see, here's the thing. If you want to try to get out of calculus class together, you've got to figure out the other student is not your rival. They're doing this thing together that what you've got to do is come together and you can study together. Y'all following this analogy? And you can encourage one another. And you can say, oh, no, no, I know how to do that formula. Let me show you how that works. Right See, you're missing this one right here. That's how to do it. You got that. But I can't do this formula right here. Can you help me with this? Can you look at my work and see what I'm doing wrong? Because you got this one right. And you help each other. And you strengthen each other. And you encourage one another. But here's what we miss in marriage. You can do all the study sessions you want together. And you can do all the encouragement. And you can pat each other on the back. And you can point out how to do things better. But you can only take your test. You don't need to take your test. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many times you tell them they're doing that formula wrong. It's not on your test. It's on theirs. You can only take yours. And you can point out all day long that you get it 75% right most of the time, that, that you do better than them. But you know what? You're not going to take their test. But you are going to take yours. And only you can deal with you. And only them can deal with them. And the more that we try to point out what they're doing wrong on their test, I mean, think about this. you got to turn the test in at the end of the class period, right? Bell's going to ring. It's over. And if you spend the entire class period going, nope, nope, look, you made a mistake again right there. Nope, nope, no, that's right. Nope, erase that. Quit that. Don't do that again. Nope, you can't do that right there. No, no, no. I know how to do it. Leave me alone. You, you need to. Class is going to be over. You didn't even mess with your stuff. You didn't even work on your test. And they're going to end up with a higher score again. We keep focusing on them. You want to kill the rivalry? Here's what Jesus said. First, y'all catch that word? Y'all put that on the screen for me. First, everybody say that with me. First, take the log out of your own eye. First, take the log out of your own eye. And it doesn't work when we go to marriage counseling. I'll deal with me after. No, 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 Jesus didn't say after. Jesus said, first, kill the rivalry, put you first kill the rivalry put you first so what i want to do is walk you through just a couple of really obvious things here's how to put you first i don't think any of this is rocket science you've probably all heard stuff like this before number one is grow and change grow and change now last week we did a, a, a thing about what god is working on in us when he gets us married to someone what is the after in us we said there are really three categories and so we need to bring those back today because that's what we're talking about. We say grow and change, grow and change in these three areas. Number one is a sin issue. If you've got a sin issue, deal with it. I cannot tell you the number of times that I've sat with a couple in my office and one of them acknowledges what they are doing wrong and they don't care because they think the other one is doing a greater wrong. I'll look at it and go, you, you're lying. Why are you lying? Well, because he kissed the secretary, so I lie. What? You think kissing the secretary gives you permission to lie. I mean, 
Okay, when he stands before God, he's going to take a different test. When you stand before God, you're going to take a test. And lying is not the right answer. When are you going to deal with you? Their sin doesn't give you permission to sin. I can't tell you how many times. And so I know, I need to say this, because I know that a lot of people in this room are sitting here thinking, yeah, well, you don't, you don't know what my spouse does. I don't care what your spouse does. You didn't like hearing that, did you? Care about what you're doing. Good news for you right now, I just said the same thing to your spouse. They're sitting beside you. Grow and change. Second thing we talked about was a soul wound. Get healing for a soul wound. I've worked with couples. As a matter of fact, almost every time I work with a couple is one of them is dealing with something like a sin and the other one is dealing with a soul wound. One needs healing. One needs to repent and stop it, right? Okay? There are different things going on. And we talked about immaturities. We need to confront our immaturities. You just need to grow and change. And I see this happen so often. Two people get married. They're somewhere in the same neighborhood of each other. You know, you can't be too terribly far apart at about like 22 years old. You know, you're, you're both young and got a lot to learn. But one of them actually learns and one grows and one pursues Jesus and one looks in the mirror and says, oh my gosh, I got to change that about me. And then the next thing you know, 10 years later, this is where they are in their marriage. And this isn't the place where you want to be. You don't want to be the one lagging behind. You don't want to be the one who doesn't know what's going on. You don't want to be the one who is having the same issues at work that you're having at home, that you're having with your friends. Your buddies have stopped hanging out with you. Your boss has fired you and your spouse is done with you. You don't want to be down here. You've got to grow and change together. Years ago, I did an entire series called Grow. And every week I, repent, I repeated this one phrase. And that is this, everybody will grow. You will either grow together or you will grow apart, but you will grow. So I suggest you grow in the right direction, that you both grow being more like God, grow and change, deal with the issues that are in your life. Stop saying, I'm not worried about me because they are a bigger problem. All right, let me just make this simple. Can I make this simple? Worst case scenario, follow along. God's up in heaven because he is. He looks at Jesus and says, you know, I think we need to do a little update around here. This place getting kind of stale. It's been like this for like eternity. I mean, we got gold streets and all, but it really could use an update. Hey, you know what? You're right, Dad. There is a really awesome decorator down there on earth. I bet she could come up here and just like change this whole place. It'd be really awesome. Why don't we bring her on up? Holy Spirit comes running over. No, 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 no. We don't need a paint job. Let me tell you what. I've been checking out what's going on down on earth down there. And see, they've got this thing called pig on a grill barbecue. It smells awesome. We had a couple of barbecues up here. It would just fill the streets of gold with this aroma. Heaven would be just, well, heaven. I think we should. I know pig's kind of forbidden around this place, but let's see if we can do some of this. What do you think? So whatever the decision, maybe, maybe your wife is the great decorator. Maybe your husband is the great barbecuer. Okay, so next thing you know, freak accident. God says, that's what we need. Let's do a little paint job. Let's look at barbecue thing going on here. You're walking down the street. Your spouse trips over their shoestring, dies, boom, they're in heaven with God. You're here. Think about this. Their issues are gone. Everything that you have consumed your life with, it's out of here. That whole to-do list that you wake up every day, I can't believe they're like, I can't believe they're doing this. God, you need to change my spouse. They're like, every one of your prayer lists, it's gone. You don't even know how to talk to God anymore. 
All you've ever said, God, I need to change my spouse. God, my spouse is such a problem. God, you know, blah, 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 blah. I mean, what are you going to talk about to God now? What are you? Everything that consumed your world, everything that you said, my life is miserable because of my spouse, they're go- it's gone. What are you going to do now? You in a mirror. Are you going to deal with what you see? Are you? Most people would say yes. I had a little 12-year-old right there last time that yelled louder than anybody. Yes! Not sure why the adults aren't getting it, except I think you all know where it implicates you in your marriage, doesn't it, right? So here's the question. If when you are finally alone and you have no other issues to point to, no one else to blame, and you say, well, I guess I better become a better me. Just me. I better be a better me. I've tried to date two other people by now, and, you know, they both said the same thing my spouse did. I guess I better finally change. Let me ask you the question. Why wait? Why wait? I can't tell you the number of people that have sat in my office with regret. Usually not because someone went to heaven to be the barbecue guy. Usually because they're just gone. They're done. They put up with it as long as they could, and they left. I don't recommend it. It's not a good answer. They're probably going to walk into the same problem somewhere else because God is working on them too. But they sit here and go, you know what? All they wanted was this. They said this over and over and over. You know what? That's really not even that big a deal. I was just blind. I was just so angry at them, so upset with what I saw about them. Second one is repent and forgive. These are two of the most confusing terms in the Christian world. Shouldn't be, but we mess them up all the time. And we get ideas like this. I'll repent when they say I'm, or I forgive you. I'll repent when they say I forgive you. And I'll forgive them when they say I'm sorry. I literally had a couple come to me, and, and this was a while back, and they were so, I, when I tell stories, hope you got nobody's in trouble. It's a while back, and, and, and the husband had done something uh, immoral against the wife, and I said, dude, that's wrong. He's like, yeah, I know it's wrong. I said, all right, you've got to go home and repent to your wife and ask her to forgive you. He's like, yes, I know. So I, I met with them about three weeks later and uh, together, and I said, so uh, have you uh, talked to your wife? He's like, no, no, I haven't. Like, why not? I don't think she's ready to forgive me yet. Dude, she's never going to be ready to forgive you until you acknowledge what you did against her. It doesn't matter if she forgives you. Let me help everybody here. If you are the offender, if you are the one who sinned, if you are the one who hurt them by what you said or what you did, walk into the room and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? It doesn't matter if they slap you and turn around and walk away. That's on them. That's between them and God. They've got now an issue God will deal with, but you've got to do what you've got to do first. And let me teach you the other one. If someone has sinned against you, if someone has offended you, if someone has hurt you, you need to forgive before they ever say a word to you. You need to begin working on that process. It's usually not going to be, oh, I forgive and I'm happy now. It usually doesn't work that way. But you're going to need to begin that process in your heart. Say, I've got to forgive them because I'm forgiven. Not because they said they're sorry. Did y'all get that? You don't forgive because they say they're sorry. You forgive because you're forgiven. And that's what God expects that we would repent and forgive now if you were following this this what i said for the last two weeks and we put it on the screen okay so last week it was kill the rivalry put your spouse first and today we're saying kill the rivalry put you first what we do with repentance and forgiveness is we get them backwards 
We think repentance and forgiveness is a spouse-first principle. They need to repent. They need to forgive. I'll forgive when they repent. They need to go first. No, no, no. Repentance and forgiveness is a you-first principle, not a spouse-first principle. We have to do it first, each of us, whichever one we are, wherever we are. Repentance and forgiveness starts with you. Repentance and forgiveness depends on you, not on your spouse. Now, I probably have not said anything to you that's rocket science. Everybody knows everything I've said so far. So what I want to close with, what I think is more important, what I hope will actually change some of your perspective today, is not how to put you first, but why. Why to put you first. So the passage I read earlier We actually picked it up in the middle. That's not where Jesus began. Jesus had already started his little uh, preaching sermon, and he started it with saying this, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And I'm going to have to read that because I asked them to add the next verse. I wasn't using it. Verse 38 says this, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. How many of you have heard give in a a sermon on money? Out of context. It applies. It applies. Give and it will be given back to you. It does apply. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't talking about money here. He was talking about judgment. Give judgment, it will be given back to you. Give condemnation, it'll be given back to you. But if you give forgiveness, it'll be given back to you. And we could go into the reaping harvest terms that come from the good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It was all about how they would get the grain, and I'm not going to take the time to do that this morning. But the point is, to the same degree that you judge another, judgment is given back to you. So this is the big why. I talk to couples all the time and try to help them understand this. If you want God to fix your spouse, now don't raise your hand right now. Don't raise your hand. But just in your head. You want God to fix your spouse? Good. Now, don't forget what I'm about to tell you. Get out of the way. Get out of the way the way. Here's what I mean. God looks down from heaven and he sees your spouse who has sinned maybe more than you. Maybe your spouse is 80% wrong. You're 20% right. You think you have reasons to point at your spouse and say, pastor, I need you to fix my spouse. I thought you got reasons. 80% wrong over there. That's it. You do. And God looks down from heaven and says, huh, look at that. Look at that. That is an imperfect person being imperfect. But look right beside him. That's an imperfect person judging them for being imperfect. One is expected. The other is unacceptable. God has never looked down from heaven and been surprised to find a sinner sinning. All of you who are married to the bigger problem, and legitimately, if your spouse is seriously, legitimately the bigger problem, all of you married to the bigger problem, God has never looked down from heaven and been surprised to find a sinner sinning. But God is appalled to look down from heaven and to find a forgiven person judging a sinner. And so God says, well, you might have been in the minority when it comes to percentage. You might have been the lower percentage, but now you're the bigger problem. I got to deal with you first. I got to teach you not to judge. 
before I can worry about that bad issue they got going on. That's been going on for centuries. Mankind's always been doing that stuff. You judge. I got to stop you from judging. You're condemning. I got to stop you from condemning. What does it mean? Judging is when you look and go, man, my spouse did this. I can't believe they would do that to me. Condemning is when you go, you are a loser. You're a liar. You're a cheater. You're a this. You're a that. You always, you never. And we start just putting them into a state, into a position. It's a condemnation, right? God looks down and goes, oh, man, I forgave you. My son died on the cross for you. Washed away every single thing. When I look at you, I see my son, and yet you look and see evil in your spouse. You just became the bigger problem. I can't tell you the number of times I've had to try to communicate to the more innocent, more correct spouse in my office. I get it. I know what your spouse did. But your attitude is keeping God from going after your spouse right now. You have become the bitter, angry, unforgiving person in this situation. And that right now to God is the biggest issue. You can't take their test for them. You can only take yours. If you want God's attention on your spouse, then you put your attention on you. If you want God's attention on your spouse, you put your attention on you. Kill the rivalry. Put you first. Kill the rivalry. Put you first. Now look, there's been a theme throughout this series if you haven't noticed. And some of you may not have liked the theme. For four weeks, we've basically talked about how you need to deal with you. Have y'all caught on to that yet? And so, you know, sometimes we do marriage series. People drag their spouses that normally don't come to church and attendance goes up during the marriage series. It's great because they say things like, I'm not cooking dinner till Christmas if you don't come to church for this series. Okay, whatever, whatever work, whatever it takes to get your spouse into here. I've heard crazy stories. Because what you want me to do for three or four weeks is to tell your spouse all that's wrong with them. Well, listen, I have tried to tell every individual in the room what is wrong with them. But no, I'm not going to sit here and tell your spouse they need to work on them without telling you you need to work on you. See, there are really just two choices. What do you do when your spouse doesn't repent? What do you do when your spouse doesn't grow? What do you do when your spouse doesn't change? What do you do when your spouse doesn't keep up as you grow, as you become more like God, as you do the right thing, as you do everything I've preached on for four weeks and your spouse doesn't? What do you do? Well, you got two choices. Number one, you do what the world says. You leave and try again somewhere else with somebody else. I don't recommend that. Or number two, you do what the Bible says stick around and you become the best version of you you can ever be you get out of God's way and you let God work in them the reason we've told you to work on you for four weeks is because the reality is there's no other choice you cannot nag your spouse into being better you cannot annoy them into being better you cannot guilt them into being better you might use those tricks to get them to my office, but changing is the work of God in their life. You can pray for him, but the rest of the time, you can work on you. Kill the rivalry, put you first. Last thing today, I want to make sure those of you that are here know 
what it means to have Jesus as your king. You see, many of us have been to church a few times, some of you many times, and you've heard, well, Jesus died. Jesus died for mankind, and so when we die, we'll go to heaven. And that's actually not quite the truth. Jesus did die, but the only people that have eternity with him are the ones who have made an exchange. The ones who at some point in history, and for you, that's February 2016, you look at Jesus and say, thank you for dying for me. Now I want to live for you. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that here this morning. You don't have to stand up. I'm not going to embarrass you. You're not going to do anything weird. We're all just going to have a conversation with God. Would you all join me? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And my simple prayer here today is that you will give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.